When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Pop Culture Confidential, and I'm Christina Yerling Biru. Hey everyone, welcome. Thanks so much for joining me for this special episode. So a while back, I was honored to moderate a masterclass on the occasion of A Man Called Otto's World Premiere. The movie is now in theaters worldwide. It was a complete blast. First, I had a conversation with producers Friedrich Wikström-Nicastro and Rita Wilson on bringing the U.S. version of Otto to life, and then a unique meeting between Otto and Uwe themselves, Tom Hanks and Rolf Laskort, on shaping their characters, process, and so much more. It was so many laughs, it was a blast. A Man Called Otto is based on the novel En man som heter Uwe by author Fredrik Backman and the Swedish film of the same name. A Man Called Otto is produced by SF Studios and Playtone and distributed by Sony. You can also watch this masterclass on SF Studios' YouTube. I'll put the link up in the show notes if you want to go see that. This conversation was taped in front of a live audience in December 2022. First up... Rita Wilson and Friedrich Wikström-Nicastro join me on stage. Rita, you're pretty much an industry onto yourself. Now, we know you as an actor, Sleepless in Seattle. You're a singer-songwriter. You have a wonderful song in auto. Um, and, but as a producer for movies like My Big Fat Greek Wedding and Mamma Mia, you have 1.5 billion gross box office for your movies. That's pretty good. <laughs> So obviously, you know what resonates, Um, but I learned something from you a few years ago, Um, your Greek background, and you were saying that there is no word for privacy in Greek, um, which is completely the opposite of Uwe and Otto and Sweden, and what resonated for you with that? Well, first of all, I couldn't believe that. I did not believe that there was not a word for privacy in uh, Greek, and I was trying, I was asking friends, how do you say I need my privacy? And they would always look like, hmm. (laughs) And they couldn't, there's a word for private property or that's private, don't go there. But there wasn't a word for privacy. There was things like, I need my space, things like that. And so I I realized that's exactly how my childhood was. You know, there was never any privacy. Everybody was always on top of everybody. I'm a first generation American. Uh, My father was Bulgarian. My mother was Greek. And so I, I think culturally, I was very used to that sort of Let's call it loving involvement. (laughs) (laughs) I know that one. (laughs) 
<laughs> but um, so what was it with Uwe? Like? Oh, well, <laughs> or I, I mean, because because in, in the Swedish film, which is what I saw first, and then I read the book, I thought, oh my gosh, this is a person who doesn't want to be bothered by anyone. He wants to be left alone. And I remember feeling that as a kid, in a way, you know, can I just have my space? And, um, and yet his life is transformed because of these people that he encounters, these new neighbors that move into the neighborhood and make him uh, open up a bit. Fredrik, you're behind some of the biggest international successes that we have over here. Snabba Cash, Boy versus McEnroe, and Mansmith Ruve, of course. Um, this book and this story, when you found it, it was kind of defying expectations the whole way. Talk a little bit about your journey with that. I thought about this a long because I've lived with, with this book in, in 10 years in, in different ways, that I think there are so many things universal themes with this book that goes so deep that has made it into this big, big success because the book has sold almost 10 million copies and it's huge in China right now, which is kind of crazy. And of course, in America, it's huge. I think it's something with the humanity of the story that is very universal because there is this saying that you can't judge a book by its cover or another saying that I love is... Um, that it's almost impossible to hate someone when you heard that person's story. Right. And I think uh, Bachmann's book incorporates that so beautifully because you present this character and you look at him from the outside and you have a certain, yeah, he's that kind of a character. And then you get to know him and you see another version of him. You see the real one. And he does the same journey with the neighbors. He sees this new family moving in or other people in the neighborhood. So while we as an audience see him in a new light, he also sees characters in the neighborhood in a new light. So I think the audience or the reader really incorporates that humanity. I also think there's something very powerful about hope. You know, this character has given up and uh, he doesn't want to live and finds a new meaning in life uh, about helping other people. And um, that comes to the, the third thing, which I think is, is very powerful, which is the theme we've discussed so much about unity, which mm -hmm. we feel strongly that the world needs more of that, which is that um, uh, this character finds a new family basically across the street people that were st strangers and that's something that we also, just from when we made the Swedish film 2015 and now, uh, I think the need for that message is much, much uh, more important both here in Europe and in America. And how did this happen? <laughs> <laughs> I just got lucky. Yeah. Um, I got lucky. So it was. But you happen to like Swedish things, Mama Mia. Well, yeah, Sweden's been very good to me. Um, well, uh, I had seen the Swedish film. It came to me in a packet that the um, Academy sends to you, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, the Oscars, uh, for your consideration. And I pulled out a film called A Man Called Uva. And you read a little synopsis and you say, this sounds interesting, right? So I, we pulled it out and we put it in the DVD player and we were watching it. And immediately I was taken by the humor, the depth, surprising how where this story was going, and the amazing character of Uva that Rolf created. And I was thinking to myself, oh my God, again 
I got to get the rights to this movie. And I turned to Tom, who was next to me, and I said, we've got to get the rights to this movie, and you have to play this character. And uh, he said the other day, he said he was, his cynical self would not allow him to say exactly what that he was thinking that. God, I'd love to play this character. This guy's really good, though. <laughs> I don't know if I could top this. this. I don't know. This And I just, like, spoke it for him. So he, he didn't say no. And uh, the next day we called uh, to explore getting the rights to the film or who, who and had I, them. And I got the call from Richard Lovett, who is the president yes. of CAA, and said, yeah, I, I hear you're trying to put together an American version of A Man Called Over. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I have an actor here who's interested in, in playing in the movie. Yeah, who's that? Tom Hanks. Right, like that happens every day, like a normal phone call. Exactly. But and the then I was in town and we yeah. met the day after. He was in and, LA. And uh, we so hit it off. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, we, we developed it together from, that was five years ago. More that or less. was yeah. five years and from that meeting till when we started filming. Exactly. And it's, it is a family. You and Tom have worked together as producers. You've worked together as actors, but not as producer-actor. Did he have to audition? I mean, <laughs> oh. No. And it makes it very easy to get a movie made when you have Tom as your star. So uh, <laughs> everybody should be so lucky to, to have him. He's been an, an amazing person to work with. And um, I, I know that. But you also don't know what the dynamic is going to be in that way because you know we were producers and he was very very easygoing I have to say. <laughs> I can imagine. Um, one of the things that you had to do with this was to really make an American version of this story. What were the challenges with that? Really? Yeah I mean first of all we we didn't want to produce this in a way if you look at Girl with the Dragon Tattoo or Let the Right One Win, Let the Right One In, which are best-selling novels and there were Swedish books uh, adaptations, that we just sold the rights and we weren't really involved. What our idea was to be actively involved and actually our company SF also financed the film. So we were really in the driving seat all along, but we also knew that we wanted the film to have a very American tone. So that was why we loved the idea of partnering with Rita and Platon, because having them to really help us to make sure we had that in and the some adaptation. Of the, yeah, some, some of the challenges were that we don't have socialized we don't have socialized medicine in the U.S. Yeah. So that and we had to come up with. Uh, a way that we could make it believable that someone was trying to take Ruben and Anita's house from them. That was something that we had to create. It was challenging to find the neighborhood that is so described in, in the book and also in the movie. It, those neighborhoods don't really exist in America. There's newer, very new versions of that, but there wasn't anything that was in that old-fashioned sort of neighborhood that could have been created in the 60s and 70s, and we got lucky with finding that in Pittsburgh. What about the balancing of comedy and drama? There's some dark themes mm. as well as comedy and suicide. How, how did that, did it differ at all in the American version and the Swedish version? Absolutely less so than what you would think. Yeah, actually. less so. Yeah. And so much of it was already in Frederick Backman's book. Mm. You know, so that was one of the things that was so compelling is all of it was there. And it was more to stay out of the way as opposed to trying to make it into something new. And Dave McGee, our screenwriter, 
who wrote Finding Neverland and Life of Pi, I felt that he was a person who could get comedy and also get the poignancy and the um, pathos of a story. And his first draft that came in was next to perfect. And he was amazing when when he wanted to when he pitched himself, his vision for the script to us, he said, I know this character because Otto is my dad. Yeah. And then I was like, okay, this guy yeah. is the right writer yeah. for this. Yeah. <laughs> Rita, um, there is no color in the world without you is a lyric in the song that you have written um, for this movie, Till Your Home. Tell us a little bit about that lyric and why. Um, thank you. That's great that you pointed that out. I love that 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 story about that because Otto says in the movie oh my world was very black and white uh, Sonia was the color and I loved that idea that somebody's life could be transformed by another person that they can bring to you your deficits that you have or that you need and complete you and I was also um inspired by a conversation that I had with a friend of mine that said when my father died, uh, and I was obviously very sad and grieving, he said, the conversation continues. And I couldn't really understand what he meant by it at that point, but as I got further and further away from my dad dying, and then of course my mom and other friends, that I understood that you do keep talking to the people that you love, even though they've passed on. And so we were trying, my co-writer David Hodges and myself, were trying to create a, a story about, oh, I can't wait to tell you know them this, this bit of my day when they come home. And so that was one of the, the lines in, in the song that was meaningful, but um, also very thankful to Mark Forrester, our director, for asking me to write a song because as a songwriter, you, you know, you're jumping up and down. You're so excited. You're like, yes, I can't wait. I'd love to do this. But the producer of me is like, simmer down, lady. Because what if he doesn't like the song? And then I, I'm the producer, and I've got to say, of course, we're not going to use that song. So I said to Mark, I will do this, and I'm very honored to. But if anything happens and you don't like it, we have to be very honest about each other. Because we were he asked me to write the song before we started filming because he knew where he wanted to place the song and he wanted to use that during production so thankfully he liked it he told me later that he had asked somebody a very well-known person to write a song for one of his movies and the person wrote the song and he didn't like the song at all and did not use the song and had to call up this person and tell them. And that did not go well. So oh. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm glad I didn't know it then. It would have been intimidating. I don't know if Truman came out or if he's still... I just want to say... Here. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's here. somewhere um, out there. Shout out to your son, Truman, who is um, plays young Otto. He's amazing. I understand that acting was not something he wanted to do at all. How did this happen? Well, this is again Mark Forster in his very kind and influential way. He said to us one day, oh, it's, I, hate, I hate it when, you're, when you go to a movie and there's a younger person playing the, the older person and they never look like that person. And he said, it's too bad your other sons, who are both actors, are too old for the role. I said, yeah, I know, that's a shame. And I said, it's too bad that Truman's not an actor 
actor because he's the one that people say look the most like Tom. And he goes, what? Let me see a picture. <laughs> and I'm like, no, 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 he, he's not an actor. Well, let me just see him. So I show him a picture and he's like, oh my gosh, he, he looks like Tom in the 80s, you know? <laughs> so he said, well, what does he want to do? And I said, he wants to be a cinematographer, which he does. And he, would, he was already pursuing that after university. So Mark said, well let me just go meet with him. I mean, we'll have a coffee. What could, it, what could go wrong? And I said, you can do that, but nothing's going to happen. However, Mark is very persuasive, and <laughs> he's worked with people who are non-actors. He's worked with a lot of children, and uh, he was able to convince him that he'd be in good hands, and I'm so glad that and he, he did. And he was. He's so good. And I really am really glad. Um, Friedrich, the industry is in disarray. I mean, if you read the trades, Hollywood is burning, and there's a lot of things happening, layoffs and, and things that are... What worries you in, in, in productions going forward as a producer? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that there is a discussion or a question both here in Europe and also in America if the adult audience that we are aiming to with this film, if they're really ready to go back to the theaters. Um, we were producing this film during the height of the pandemic, but we still decided to set it up as a theatrical film. That was something we decided in February when we sold it to Sony. And uh, still in America, I would say that adult audiences aren't really back in theaters, but I also think that there could be a, a, that the industry doesn't really provide interesting content for them. Because uh, so it's kind of a bad spiral. So I think that's a, a worry, but I also feel confident that we're giving them a, them a very heartfelt and life-affirming film. And hopefully, they will will get oh, to the theater. And yeah. as, <laughs> as we've been able to screen it and screen it in movie theaters with people, it's exactly what Frederick and I. Our intention was always to have it be a theatrical re mm -hmm. release, never to be a streamer, um, because we we. I'm totally moved, and 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 uh, it's such a wonderful experience to see people again having a communal experience of watching a movie. Because you can watch things at home, and that's great. But when you feel that there's a theater full of people that are responding, uh, that's that's why we go to the movies, and it's one of our greatest exports as Americans. Mm -hmm. Finally, what kind of neighbors are you in? <laughs> <laughs> I think we're pretty good neighbors. Mm -hmm. And we have a new neighbor. And uh, the night we were flying to come here, he, he called and invited us. He said, I know it's very, very last minute, but my family's coming over. We've just put up the tree. Do you want to stop by for a bite to eat? And I said, we're leaving in 90 minutes, but I think we could do it. <laughs> so we went over. But I did have a bad neighbor once. I had a bad neighbor. And Uwe? And Otto? Um, <laughs> It was a female auto, and it was a Brit Marie. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, this woman had a parrot, and I, would, I was nursing a, a newborn at the time, Truman, and uh, our houses were very, very close together, and so I, uh, every day I'd be trying to sleep when he had a nap, and I'd hear this, rah, rah, you know, constantly. And so I very politely said to her, do you mind if during this time when my baby is sleeping and I'm trying to take a nap that you could put your parrot inside? And she said, oh, I'm sorry. No, I can't do that. That's the parrot's time to be outside. <laughs> 
Right. I was like, okay, just earplugs, yeah. go back. Fredrik, ordförande för bostadsrättsföreningen. No, I, I think I can work to be, become a better neighbor, but I have become a better neighbor. You know, I, I heard something in a podcast that I thought was really interesting, that in disasters, when you have earthquakes or natural disasters, the people that survive are not the one who has prepared or, you know, stored f food, but are the ones who are good neighbors. Because they help each other, and when uh, when disaster strikes, there is a community. Yeah. I thought that was really something that I took to heart. So I think we can all improve on that. Thank you so much. Let's bring your Thank boys you, in. Christine. Thank you, and good <laughs> Thank luck you. with Thank the you. film. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. All right, are we ready? <laughs> Thank you, Rita. Without further ado, they have Oscars and Swedish Film Awards between them, and Forrest Gump, and Valander, and Otto, and Uwe, and everything. Welcome to the stage, Tom Hanks and Rolf Lasgård. Hey, hi, can I see here? Hello. Look at you down there, front row. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Welcome. Hello, boys. So while we were working, were you talking hockey? No, we were, we <laughs> were, we talking, yet. We were talking Falstaff. Yeah. We were, oh. not, we're comparing all the roles we played. And we, we both played Falstaff exactly. at some point. How about so, that? Two roles. Okay. Well, because <laughs> I was thinking, I've seen you in your Pittsburgh Penguins Oh, okay. Do you know yeah. that Rolf is... Hockey, yeah. What is, what is your team? Yeah. It's called Brynäs. You know Börjes Salming? That's so sad. Yeah, he yeah, passed yeah, away yeah. from I Toronto no Maple Leafs. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, he was in my team uh, uh, a couple of years ago. Do you know ago. that Rolf was like... you? I mean, how good were you? You were like almost... Ah, I mean, uh, when I reached the guys and get them into the... The wall, it was okay, but uh, I mean, <laughs> oh, I was pretty slow. <laughs> I could have been really a great hockey player, mm -hmm. and I showed great promise, but I could never learn how to skate. <laughs> so, uh, well, you need that. It like, took me out of the game, but I think I could have been a good one. I think. <laughs> so, Rolf, we're on pins and needles everyone here. How did this guy do? How was he? Inove, fantastic, yes. of course. Right, okay. I'm such a Newcomer. great big fan. I mean, this this meeting is so so fantastic. I mean, the, the telling was that we should let Ota and Ove meet, and I'm so glad that we made it made it out of character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Although I think they would have gotten along. Oh, no, you know? yeah. Yeah. Otto and Ova would have just said, "How, how stupid are your yeah. neighbors? My yeah. neighbors yeah. are so stupid. Mine is stupid." Too. Yeah, yeah, we yeah but great. then it starts. My <laughs> stupid than mine. Yeah. Um, I know that this, of course, a private thing, but I know that you wrote Rolf a letter. Um, is there anything you can tell us about what was in that? Well, it's it's. Uh, look, I felt as though I was writing the first actor who ever played Hamlet, and now I'm playing Hamlet as well. Mm -hmm. I just, you know, we uh, when we were uh, when we saw it for the first time. Uh, I am a I am a selfish competitive actor. Yeah, yeah, everybody. This guy had this fabulous role and he was killing it and he was crushing it and I'm in the audience thinking like how come I don't I, this is this is really a good role. Um, 
and I don't speak Swedish. That's the only thing that is in the way <laughs> of, me, uh, of me being able to do it. But I, 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 I just wanted, we were, even if we had never met, we no. would share this thing yeah. between us for the rest of our days, and there would be just enough differences, and there'll be just enough similarities. You know, Sweden is not America, vice versa, and I think I probably yell a lot more than Ova <laughs> does, you know, because Americans yell a lot. Um, but I, I just wanted to be able to touch base and say, I am, I am surfing behind you, I'm on the next wave, you were out in front of me, and I, I just oh. want to live up to it as, as much as possible. But I was a fan letter, it was a fan letter yeah. to, to Rolf. And did you answer? Absolutely. Yeah. I was so, so surprised uh, and so honored of this uh, generosity. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, the first letter I got from a, a colleague is from Tom Hanks. I mean, <laughs> That's not bad. It's so, it's so <laughs> I got you. I got his email address from, from yeah. Frederick. So and I said, Do you, I, oh, yes, I think you would very much like enjoy to get a letter from you. And I said, well, can you? Yes, I will get you the email. I had to ask him like yeah, four yeah. times. Oh, yes, I'm sorry. I meant to give you that email address. I will get it to you. So And I have did. to say, and this I, I learned afterwards, that, that because it's such a beautiful letter in, in brown paper, and it's typed. Of on a real typed. typing <laughs> machine, <laughs> and somebody sent, then told me, you are a collector. I collect typewriters, oh, my, yes. It was so beautiful. Would you like one? I have way but too <laughs> many. Uh, send it along. I have I, the I, app. I don't, need, I, I, I don't need to die with 180 typewriters. Oh, I don't want to burden die with my, I don't want to burden my kids with those. Um, Rolf, you, regarding your process, uh, you have talked about that when you are preparing for a role, you pack a backpack for the character. Oh, what a great idea. See? Yeah. 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 I am so going to steal that. Oh, and I'm going to, I'm not going to credit you at yeah. all. Yeah. I'll say things like, no, I heard an actor. Yeah. I can't remember his no name. name. <laughs> what a great idea. Yeah. But I want to know what was in Uwe's backpack. Yeah, it was some movements. It was some lines. The, the book was with me. The, the, the thing is, when you start a, a shoot when you come from the theater it's of course you have eight uh, seven or eight weeks of rehearsals uh, when you start to shoot you start to shoot and 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 uh, th therefore I like this with the, the with the backpack because and hopefully you got the right things with you you don't know because it's like a trip that grows every day what is what is your first day of shooting on a movie very first that day. I th yeah. what is that like for yeah you? if I could decide like you did in Uwe, uh, I, I did, the first day was to shuffle a little bit snow. Oh, uh, move, don't say too much, walk around, that, that, that I think it's my What dream. was our first day? Do you remember? Hey. Ru oh, uh -oh. that's right. Uh, yeah. So I had a ton of dialogue. And everybody is sure we're going to be fired at the end uh, yeah, of the day. Yeah, yeah. And no matter how many times you've gone over it, you think, did I say that right? What is it again? When do I say this? I felt like an idiot. <laughs> yeah. And you, between the backpack and just shoveling on your first day, I'm yeah. stealing all of this. I'm going to go next yeah. time. I said, I'm not shooting that on the first day. Yeah. I'm going to get in and out of a car on the first day. Yeah. That's all I'm doing. But then that maybe explains, because your first day is in the movie. My first day is not in the movie. Oh, okay. 
That's another thing they can always do. Part of creating the character was some Oscar-nominated prosthetics. Yeah. Talk about that. Yeah. Of course. I mean, when I meet the makeup designers, they told me we have to get rid of this. It's, it's, I mean. Hello, and welcome to Guilty Greenie. I feel like we should start off this show by saying it's nearly impossible to be 100% sustainable given the current world we live in. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Not a great analogy for a vegetarian, but you know. We're talking uh, about sustainability, (laughs) maybe not the best analogy. Don't eat the elephant is the first rule of the Guilty Greenie. There's your first challenge of the week. (laughs) Avoid elephants. What they used to call frugal is now considered sustainable. It's such an aha moment, frugal to sustainable. You can save money and help the planet. That's going to be our new tagline for sure. You can find Guilty Greenie on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast platform you prefer. And join us in tackling the Guilty Greenie challenges. Until then, stay Curiously Green. Take it away. And, and I saw a computer built uh, a picture, and, and, and I said, this is it. That, I have to do it. So we tried it first, and I felt immediately, this is the guy. Uh, I, and it forced me. A mask. I heard a film critic once said, uh, is it to cheat to have a mask? And I feel that it is absolutely sometimes the opposite, because it forced you to change your body, your movements, that it go together with, with, with your face. So, so that was also an experience from the first shooting day, because the, there was snow in the small houses, and I went out for the first day in my mask. And the guys who was working, hey, <laughs> you can't be here, go you away. <laughs> so I was forced out from the set. <laughs> Oh, movies are all the same. <laughs> you know, um, before, we st- before we started shooting, um, we had, Rita was actually watching it because we were comparing palettes and things like that from the colors, literally the cinematographer. And she said, um, uh, do you want to watch this? I said, I do want to watch it, but I don't want to hear it. So we turned the sound down. So I just watched your face and your body and your motions like that. So I was only watching your the physicality of it because I, you know, I didn't want to have to read the 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 the, the, the subtitles in no, order no, to get no, it. No. I just wanted to see how you how you carried yourself and all of that because he's a big intimidating guy. <laughs> uh, but along with the that, there, there 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 comes this. There was a stoic. Do you have the word stoicness, stoicism, <laughs> to a, a surety? You know, he's a very self-assured man. Uva was. And so I just wanted to I wanted to pick up that scary visage of yours, you know, the the way uh, the way your your hawk-like face was concentrating on people because I th- and as Otto, I think I I did. We screamed a lot more, yeah. you know. I, oh, but I had you all had these other things of... in your auto backpack. You made some other choices in terms of, of the, how. Uh, well, like for example, the hair. And I have worked with our hair people with Hot Pants Tony. Uh, Tony, that was our. our my, <laughs> okay. yeah, I'd, I'd worked with him <laughs> before. He's a great guy from from New Orleans. Well, I just got to tell you, I, I, I'm just so hot. I just wish I could wear hot pants to work. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you hot pants, Tony. Um, uh, we were talking about the hair, and I and uh, it's it's funny. It, as soon as you start, you have a logical explanation for every 
everything. And so with the, with the hair, I said, Otto gets his hair cut from the same exact barber. He, it costs $20, and he gives a $2 tip, and that is what he's been doing for the last 17 years. So it's not a great haircut. <laughs> you know, what is, what is, what, what's, a, what's a good price for a, a Swedish haircut? How many kroner would that be? You know, the cheap uh, supercuts, you know, yeah. the cheapest haircut barber that you could have. That's where, that's where Otto goes. And when it came down to the clothes... Um, I was talking with uh, uh, Frank, our, our costume uh, uh, designer, uh, who, who brought it all together. I said, look, I'd I make everything at least, at least one size too large, if not two sizes. Because I think when he was married, he ate very well, and he ate regularly. And as a single man, a widower, he does not eat nearly. He doesn't have the appetite, and he doesn't have the time. For, so he lost 30 or 40 pounds. I mean, so if you look at it, all of his clothes are really quite hanging off of him. But, and that's, that's, that's where you end up. No one can answer that question except for you. And you have those, you have those answers for everything. Um, but you've had some, in your career, some big transformations. I'm thinking about Castaway and, and uh, Colonel Parker now, where you've really, I know for Castaway, you gained 50 pounds and then yeah. lost 50 pounds. I mean, is that something, Is how different is that? How do you work with that? In well, uh, it can kill you <laughs> yeah. uh, if you try to do it too often. You know, I'm going to gain 50 pounds and then I'm going to lose. No, you can't do that. Uh, we, we, there, it was, there was malleable. I mean, we literally, the first half of Castaway, um, I, I literally ate everything I could. It was very unhealthy. And then we took a year to lose all the weight. And then we went back and shot the second half of the movie. Financially, no studio wants to do that anymore. <laughs> you know, they don't want to carry the cash flow. And Colonel Tom Parker, well, that, that was prosthetics, you know, and it was, and it was first class, award-winning all the way. Um, and you're right, what it does, it alters your center of gravity. You walk differently, you, uh, you, you sit differently. You cannot be comfortable at all at any time during the day. But um, the... Uh, it ends up being a bit of a suit of armor, you know. It it ends you 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 come into work every day, and literally the character is layered upon you, and you cannot you cannot be yourself. You end up becoming a different human being. Um, Rolf, I understand you took some inspiration from military when you when Uwe's doing his rounds. Yeah, uh, we started with this round to, to walk, and I was thinking, uh, in one way, of course, he has his sickness and so on, but he, I mean, he, he takes, it's like a, an old man walking with his dog every day. He gets his exercise this uh, every day in the morning. So, so, so uh, I, when I did the military, we had these guys who was, uh, walking around in the evenings, though, uh, and, and uh, looking that everything was calm and everything should be like it is, you know. So, so, yeah, a little bit. It, uh, I, th I thought also because this mask also made me look a little bit too old, in one way, and and uh, and uh, I wanted to that he was some kind of in in the body, so, uh, still fit. Still fit. As I can be fit. You have to give me some diet. Some <laughs> <laughs> it's called well, self-loathing. <laughs> you know, develop some real, you know, some, some real narcissistic self-loathing. I think that's the best way to lose weight. You know, don't you think? <laughs> 
good to know. <laughs> Work on it, you know. Tom, and you have the most iconic eye roll I think I have seen in a movie. That yeah. you know that's going to be a meme for the rest of 2023. Yeah. Yeah. Can you? Yeah. I don't know if they can see you, but can you? Yeah. <laughs> that's the way I live my life sometimes. I picked it up from most of my, all four of my kids because that's all they give me. Oh, I know that, yeah. yeah, hey, can you can can you can you guys what is what is what is the password for Netflix? Oh Jews dead. <laughs> I never I can never remember that. Um, how are you? I mean, is there an Uwe what pisses you off in day-to-day life? Oh dear. Yeah. <laughs> all right. All we right. have time. Okay. Uh, what we had to come up. We you had a, a great routine, your morning routine. Ulva did. Yeah. You had many things you needed to check because yeah. of the nature of the comp, uh, complex that yeah. you lived in. We needed to. I, there was a gate you could check, and there's of course the can. Who puts the cans with the bottles? Who can't put them? What? How is this difficult? The, they're different colors. The different color bends, and the cans go here. How? Who can't do this right? If there's auto a little bit right there. Um, <laughs> but we also, they said, well, what about the parking permits? And so even though auto recognizes the car, it's always the same car. He still has to check to make sure that, okay, that's hanging there. All right. Uh-huh. Wait a minute. It's not. A, he would literally go up and say, look, I know, you, I know you live here. I know that's your car, but you need to have your parking permit hanging from the mirror. Otherwise, I'm going to call the cop. So uh, my problem is driving. Uh, in Los Angeles particularly, (laughs) if a car in front of me starts slowing down for no reason and goes even slower and making me slow down too and then stops, almost comes to a stop and then slowly makes a right turn without (laughs) using a right turn blinker, you do not want to be in the car with me. It, 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 I go off on a jag of swearing and salty language that, um, you know, and there's other reasons, there, at any time in an, in an automobile. Well, thank you very much for the use of your turn signal because it's just so great for me to know which way you're going because you know which way you're going. And I don't. Thank you. What a... Honey, wasn't that Tom Hanks? Yeah, it was. <laughs> Who was that guy I saw screaming in that old car driving by right now? Rolf, what, what pisses you off? No, Not much. I love it. You say, what pisses you off? <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, it's very nice. I mean, I, it was a very good routine for me when, when we started to shoot every shooting morning because I had to get up 4.15 in the morning. And I had a three minutes walk to the makeup. Everybody was living in small houses. And I, I uh, saw everybody was sleeping. <laughs> I, I, I know that the director, he, 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 he's sleeping at least one and a half hour more. So <laughs> not to st- stand outside and scream and try to w- wake up. I had to go up every morning, everybody's sleeping. <laughs> I, 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 I made small films during my walk to the makeup department. Uh, you know, this male kicking everywhere. You have to check with your foot on flat tires. And I made a small movie that I sent to him some moments <laughs> that his main that. character was really working. <laughs> but uh, uh, maybe what pisses me off is when, when, when I'm trying to do something practical. and. Somebody tells me how it should be done. Oh, no. 
nuts. Hey, you know, yeah, you're not doing that right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, really? I'm not doing this right. Really, I'm not doing this. Why don't you come show me how to do it? Thank you very much. Like in the gym, like if you go to the gym, you know, you know, you really should keep your shoulders back. Why don't you shut up? That gets me. See, you get worked up a little bit. Tom, do you know what the word folkshar is? No, but please tell me so I can steal it and use well, it at it's, home. Well, it's, it's you, both <laughs> of you. you. <laughs> I mean, it basically means that you're really beloved, that a, you're beloved through a big, so broad audience. So cranky, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like when, when you and Rita got COVID in the beginning of when we were all freaking out and you were tweeting. You're welcome. You were, yes. And you're quite welcome. You Everybody. were tweeting dad jokes and, and just making us all feel better. That's Folkshad. Celebrity canaries in the coal mine. Yeah. That's sort of like what we but were. I was wondering if it's been a hindrance. Rolf, you said that for a while in, in Sweden when you got really big, that, that they were seeing you in certain roles. And like in Denmark, they were offering you other things. Talk a little bit about what that... It's very easy that you, you, it was mostly in the beginning, I think. I, I, I played uh, a lot of policemen, I mean, uh, and, uh, um, uh, and uh, always a policeman and you, you, you get into that box in one way. And, um, but the only reason, the only way you can do it is to keep on working. I, I, because this was different, different characters. And, and they were very popular in Sweden, but uh, then it comes to, 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 to something that's positive, because uh, they were different, and I tried to play them different. And that made me to go to other kinds of roles. But, but still, you can see, I have been, always been the good guy. even. With a big heart, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and Tom, I mean, is it true that like Zemeckis, when you were doing the Vietnam scenes in Gump and um, in Spielberg and Ryan, that there was discussions like we don't want to see Tom Hanks shooting? Oh yeah, and it drove me nuts. Mm -hmm. Let me <laughs> get this straight: we're going to bring all these helicopters and all these guys and all these explosions going on. And you don't want Tom to shoot a gun because he's such a nice guy. And why would he? Why we? We don't want you to kill Nazis. And I said, listen, I'm going to tell you right now: I didn't take this job to not kill Nazis. <laughs> I have a machine gun, and when I see him, I'm going to shoot. As simple as that. You can keep it or not, but I'm not going to say, oh no, I'm, I'm too nice. We, we, we have, well, it's funny because in the in all of the discussions of that, we the the, the Vietnam sequence. Viet, understand, Vietnam was a breaking point in the United States of America. That was when when I was growing up. I was in junior high and high school, and Vietnam divided America more or less straight down the middle. Of people who accepted the need for going to war in Vietnam, and the other half of the country was saying, "Why in the world are we going to Vietnam in order to fight this this war over what this tiny sliver of a country?" And to go and do that, um, we were talking about uh, how how Forrest Forrest is really good at doing one specific. He's the best at doing one specific thing, which is what he is told to do. So I said, what? When that, when that ambush goes on, he's going to hit the ground and he's going to fire his full magazine in the, in the, literally in the fields of fire in order to guarantee that he can either pull back or whatever it is. And uh, Bob said, nah, all right, go ahead. Go ahead and do it. So I wasn't about to not fire my weapon if I was going to be in Vietnam. Rolf, is there a villain that you would like to play? If you're only playing... 
I'm not, I'm not longing after to play a villain. I, I mean, I, I, I like, uh, even if people could act bad, there is a light in the heart in every human being. So I'm, I'm satisfied with that. I'd like to play a cop in Denmark. Huh? <laughs> well, he that, has contacts. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But what is the deal with that? Not to sound like Jerry Seinfeld, but Sweden and all these cops and detectives and... <laughs> I think about very good novels. It started yes. there. Very good novels. It started there. That's one of the things you do, Rolf. You really go back to the novel, I understand, when you're creating a character. Yeah. Both Valander that you went back to and, and Uwe. Um, what do you find in them? I mean, uh, some actors say there's a novel and then we write the script and then this novel is going to be a film and you don't use the novel because it could disturb you. You, but uh, I think uh, uh, for me it is like a, it's the, the, the raw material that you can use. I mean, uh, uh, small lines, small thinking, small physical movements, like I wrote you, uh, when Uwe point at somebody, it's like a policeman that holding a flashlight. Yes, right. How do we uh, right. do that? Right. But it, it's that's very that's good, so good. Inspire, inspiration. Yeah, I use the two. I yeah, use yeah. The two, I use the two in, fingers in, in, as well. In the car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I hope that. Oh, I hope I've all the yeah. fingers up there. Yeah. from that. Did you go back to the book? Oh, constantly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I will. I will try to get material wherever I can. Uh, I had a, a director when I was very. I was nineteen, and he yelled at the entire cast of this one play. Uh, because everybody got drunk the night before for the opening night, and they we had it was rotating repertory, so we had to show up fresh and rehearse another play, and everybody was listless. And he yelled at us all, and he said, "Look, your job as actors, I can't do this by myself. Your job is to show up on time, to know the text, and have an idea. And that I, I remember that that idea is a thing you keep in your pocket." And you can, wherever you can get that idea of something to do, and the information that a novel will tell you is never going to come out in the text of what you're, of, uh, of, of this, what the screenwriter writes. But if you know the, that's part of the logic of the character that only, the really, the actor is the one that has to protect that. Mm. Because the director will say, oh, I need this shot, and you got to do yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. And, and they say, well, let me, give me a second yeah, in order yeah. to wrap my head around that. Because any, uh, particularly the Frederick Bachman novel, mm -hmm. Uh, there is so much in there that plays out in behind uh, Otto's eyes and Ulva's eyes that you can't get anywhere else, and it's there. So why wouldn't you go? Why wouldn't you go pick that cotton? The 90s weren't good for everyone, but they were good for you guys. Um, you, I have to say, <laughs> I, I, there's. There's, but there's, yes, <laughs> no, but I mean, there's few actors that I've researched that I mean, your your both of your careers had blasted off at this point. We you had yes, you are the same age. A league of their own. You had back all the sleepless, you know, the wonderful rom-coms. You had back-to-back -back Oscars with Philadelphia and Forrest Gump. You hey, had yeah. yes, yeah. <laughs> you had your good baggage for Mr. Shokifar, the Beck movies, the Valander. When did you, either of you, realize, oof, I'm a thing now? <laughs> a thing? A thing. Explain that, Tom. Don't, don't you, like, as soon as, as soon as you get some sort of accolades, you think, all right, that's it. <laughs> exactly, that's it. Exactly. I peaked. It's yeah, all yeah. downhill yeah. from now. 
All I'm going to do oh, yeah. is, uh, you know, do yeah. that again. It's always constant, constant struggle. I will say there's a moment where you realize you can get your car fixed. You know, you have the money, you know, if you drop the transmission, oh, hey, I'm rich. I can get my car fixed now. You know, if something goes wrong, I can afford cheap Chinese food twice a week. And, you know, if I still smoked, I could have, I I could pour a carton of cigarettes anytime I want to. I don't smoke anymore, but that's a sign of being well off, I think, uh, wealthy, yeah. And Rolf, do you you remember a moment? Uh, No, I I think... to be the thing in Sweden and to be the thing in the United States, you two different Aww. things. But how are you with fame? I mean, that must have come crashing down. Was that difficult? Was it? Well, there's no training for it, you know, but I get it. You know, yeah, I yeah. remember um, seeing a famous movie star, Robert Stack. I don't yeah. know if you know who Robert Stack is. Robert Stack was on a TV show called The Untouchables. He's a very, if you, any American who saw a picture of Robert Stack, you'd say, oh, that's Robert Stack. I saw him once in baggage claim mm-hmm. at LAX. <laughs> and it was like, dude, dude, there's Robert Stack. <laughs> and so I, I recognize that. And that, that goes with the territory. I, I was sort of fortunate that I was on television, was sort of recognizable, and just sort of like grew and grew and grew. And you just, you just have to understand that it's important, and it's a, it's a bit of a commodity. And um, you, you can't, sometimes you do find yourself that you are to somebody who is my, maybe meeting you for the first time on a bad day. Mm-hmm you might come off to that person <laughs> as the biggest fucking asshole of all time. Yeah. Pardon my language, but... What's okay? Because Please. if they're catching you at a bad time, you know, your yeah. kid's sick, you're trying to buy shoes, you, you're running out of money for the parking meter and you're yeah. late for something, and someone makes a big deal, you don't have time for them, you, then maybe you feel bad after that. But it's, it, it's the territory, and it's important, and it's a thing. And, yeah. you know, uh, you know... Uh, the, you, you, you want to give everybody in the theater, you know, the benefit of the doubt. And you also get to host SNL marvelously. Yeah, as you, have done so many you know times. who SNL is here in the... Yes, in we know what SNL is. <laughs> okay, yeah. That's a good gig. Man. That's a good gig. That's a fun gig. <laughs> um, Rolf, you have um, gone back... Sorry, gone back to characters many times. You've, you've played them, Valander, several times. You've played... Has that been something you've enjoyed... Doing yeah, it. really, because uh, I mean, uh, when this uh, series industry started uh, just a couple of years ago, I, I was not so much in it because I have the uh, privilege to work with authors that w- was ra- starting to write a book, and then it took a couple of years, and then a new book, and you you made the film. So, so time went by. So, so, so I mean, to do one film and then wait 16 years to do the next ones. <laughs> that, that's really interesting yes. because, uh, I mean, what, what have you been doing all this time? I mean, <laughs> well, at least they didn't say, get me a young uh, no, Rolf Lothgaard. No. <laughs> exactly. you, know, you want them to go off and get Rolf Lothgaard. You don't want them to get the next well, one. Do you, you have a Truman who can play the young Rolf? <laughs> <Yes. host? laughs> no. But you haven't done that all this much. We don't have a sequel of Grandpa Gump or anything like that well, coming. Well, I did the Robert Langdon movies, which mm-hmm. I like to call the Da Vinci Code movies. Uh, mm-hmm. We did those, but even those were spread out you know, yeah. many years, and that, that was really more about plot, because the character didn't necessarily age or change very much. And 
Um, but I you don't, have returned to directors. Pardon me? Directors you've re worked with I, many yeah, times. Yeah, I go back return. to them. I, I, have you worked with the same directors many times? Because yeah, you yeah. don't have to get to know them. You yeah. end up speaking a coded language already. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you've had a good experience, you can just you pick up right where you left off mm -hmm. and continue along. You move faster. Mm -hmm. Um, let's go back to Uwe. I think we only have a few minutes left, and Otto, of course. How do you hope that Otto will resonate now when you're letting him out into the world? Well, uh, there is a, there is a, in the United States, I think there is a default cynicism that by and large is, is sort of like the natural order of things mm -hmm. for when somebody moves into your neighborhood. You're almost suspicious of who that is. Who is that? Who's moving in across the street? Are they good for the neighborhood or not? What are they going to do to my property values? Mm -hmm. Oh, it's a family of Mexicans. This is not going to be good for my property <laughs> values. They're loud. They speak a different language. The kids are going to like drive. They're going to play, leave their toys all over the front yard. This is a disaster. That the, the, if, if, from, uh, if a movie can make understanding and being open and acceptance somehow glamorous enough to make you as an audience member want to be the same way. I think movies can do that. I think cinema can do that. To say that, you know what, there is, maybe there is nothing to be afraid of by these new people that are moving. And maybe just the opposite happens. What I was knocked out by certainly the novel and what, what Rolf did in the original film was um, starting at a place of uh, loneliness and being alone. And the last thing Uva and Otto wanted to hear was, you know, a knock on the front door. Leave me alone. Leave yeah. me alone. Yeah. I'm all done. I'm all finished. I don't need anything from anybody. But that, that, uh, the, what that introduction that comes from new people that not only ask for favors that you don't want to give, but they also come and they ask you, are you okay? Do you need anything? That's the opposite of, of being lonely. That's the opposite of being close. It's the opposite of cynicism. It is, in fact, it's an embracing of the possibility of, <clears throat> I am going to, my life is going to be made larger by knowing these people. And if I go out of my way to ignore them, uh, th then that's actually a bit of a tragedy. And I think movies can, can present that as, hey, just remember uh, what is it Frederick said? No one is a stranger once you know their story. Mm -hmm. And all you have to do is be willing to listen to that story. And guess what? You end up having something in common. Yeah. Let's hope people want to listen. Uh, I mean, that's a beautiful thing about story. Because in the real life, all these authors and always, we just judge them and leave them alone. But in the world of cinema, it's so very nice. Because when they go into their houses... In the real life, we don't know anything. But in cinema, we suddenly follow them inside the house and see yeah. what yeah. it's. It's like a, a small, small Chinese box that you see one side of a person and then you see a complete different side of a person. Finally, I have to ask you what I asked Rita and Frederick. How, how are you as neighbors? <laughs> hey, Mr. Happy Swede. Tell them... <laughs> Do you have neighbors? Tell them how you treat your neighbors first. <laughs> By the way, do all Swedes live 45 minutes outside of Stockholm? I have yet Not to meet enough. anybody who lives in Stockholm. Where do you live? Oh, you I live about 45 you. minutes down the archipelago. It's a very lovely, very lovely house. We come in, of course, to do the work, and sometimes I drive, and sometimes I take the ferry. But by and large, oh, I cannot live in Stockholm. I live about 45 minutes outside on the, on the, on the, on the, on the archipelago. 
So what's your neighborhood like 45 minutes outside of here? <laughs> it's actually five hours. So. <laughs> no, but I think I'm a, I'm rather okay neighbor. Uh, but uh, I, I mean, we have this, and that, that is as nice in, in your movie. It's still there, you know. We don't open the doors directly for, for, for strangers and the, the Scandinavian way stand in the door for a while and show me how you uh, how, which what which person you are then we can let you in there you go tom <laughs> we are we are exactly the same that's uh, true we have the, we have this kind of we have this because Los Angeles is a, I, we, my my wife was born in Los Angeles her brother lives in the same house that she was brought home from the hospital yeah. in so this is her hometown she knows all the uh, shortcuts but if if you're not it's not your hometown LA is a, is a place you came to and made your peace with you know it's the it's the it's the it's a big town so we sort of had these this rule I do too there's there's three ways you can see your neighbors. The first one is, you know, as you're pulling yeah. in, hey, how are you? You know, that's all you're getting from me. Just kind of, yeah, I know, I see you. You live there, I get it, you know, get that. Then there's the other, which is, uh, hey, how are you? Now, bad neighbors think that, hey, how are you, is uh, an excuse to come over and start talking to you. <laughs> it is not, no, it is like, it's hey, how are you? Invitation. Stay right there. <laughs> Hey, how are you? No, no, no. Stay right there. No, you stay there. Then the last thing is like, you, this is what is required. Get over here. Yeah. That's, that's the good neighbor. But you don't give that away on, no. on the first time you meet them. No, no, no. You stand in the doorway for a while and, you know, like, 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 like check them out. So that's, 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 and also in Los Angeles, every other house is being rebuilt. So you actually know the construction crews better, better than the than neighbors. <laughs> and every time you drive past them, what, another two weeks, guys? Another two weeks and you'll be done? Two weeks, right? Okay, great. When do the cement mixers come? <laughs> two weeks from now. That's yeah. the way that always works. Guys, I want to thank you both for your incredible body of work that's really been part of our shared movie history. And, and I hope and I see Otto going just exploding all over the world. And thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you so much. Thank you. That was my honor. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> Lovely theater, by the way. Thank you. Hey there. I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. 
Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcast.com. See you soon.